Chapter eighty one, part one of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Chapter eighty one The Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part one. By the circumstances of the story which I am going to relate, you will be convinced of my candor while you are informed of my indiscretion. You will be enabled, I hope, to perceive that, howsoever my head may have erred, my heart hath always been uncorrupted, and that I have been unhappy, because I loved and was a woman. I believe I need not observe that I was the only child of a man of good fortune, who indulged me in my infancy with all the tenderness of paternal affection, and, when I was six years old, sent me to a private school, where I stayed till my age was doubled, and became such a favorite, that I was, even in those early days, carried to all the places of public diversion, the court itself not excepted, an indulgence that flattered my love of pleasure, to which I was naturally addicted, and encouraged those ideas of vanity and ambition which spring up so early in the human mind. I was lively and good-natured, my imagination apt to run riot, my heart liberal and disinterested, though I was so obstinately attached to my own opinions that I could not well brook contradiction, and, in the whole of my disposition, resembled that of Henry V, as described by Shakespeare. In my thirteenth year I went to Bath, where I was first introduced into the world as a woman, having been entitled to that privilege by my person, which was remarkably tall for my years and there my fancy was quite captivated by the variety of diversions in which I was continually engaged. Not that the parties were altogether new to me, but because I now found myself considered as a person of consequence, and surrounded by a crowd of admirers who courted my acquaintance and fed my vanity with praise and adulation. In short, whether or not I deserve their encomiums, I leave the world to judge." but my person was commended and my talent in dancing met with universal applause no wonder then that everything appeared joyous to a young creature who was so void of experience and dissimulation that she believed everybody's heart as sincere as her own and every object such as it appeared to be among the swains who sighed or pretended to sigh for me were two that bore a pretty equal share of my favour it was too superficial to deserve the name of love. One of these was a forward youth of sixteen, extremely handsome, lively, and impudent. He attended in quality of page upon the Princess Amelia, who spent that season in Bath. The other was a Scotch nobleman turned of thirty, who was graced with a red ribbon, and danced particularly well, two qualifications of great weight with a girl of my age, whose heart was not deeply interested in the cause. Nevertheless, the page prevailed over this formidable rival, though our amour went no farther than a little flirting, and ceased entirely when I left the place. Next year, however, I revisited this agreeable scene, and passed my time in the same circle of amusements, in which, indeed, each season at Bath is exactly resembled by that which succeeds, allowing for the difference of company, which is continually varying. There I met with the same incense, and again had my favourite, who was a North Briton and captain of foot nearly forty years of age, 
and a little lame an impediment which i did not discover until it was pointed out by some of my companions who rallied me upon my choice he was always cheerful and very amorous had good countenance and an excellent understanding possessed a great deal of art and would have persuaded me to marry him had i not been restrained by the authority of my father whose consent was not to be obtained in favor of a man of his fortune at the same time many proposals of marriage were made to my parents but as they came from people whom i did not like i rejected them all being determined to refuse every man who did not make his addresses to myself in person because i had no notion of marrying for anything but love among these formal proposers was a scottish earl whose pretensions were broke off by some difference about settlements and the son of an english baron with whom my father was in treaty when he carried me to town on a visit to a young lady with whom i had been intimate from my infancy she was just delivered of her first son for whom we stood sponsors so that this occasion detained us a whole month during which i went to a ball at court on the queen's birthday and there for the first time felt what love and beauty were the second son of duke h who had just returned from his travels was dancing with the princess royal when a young lady came and desired me to go and see a stranger whom all the world admired upon which i followed her to the circle and observed this object of admiration he was dressed in a coat of white cloth faced with blue satin embroidered with silver of the same piece as his waistcoat his fine hair hung down his back in ringlets below his waist his hat was laced with silver and garnished with a white feather but his person beggared description he was tall and graceful neither corpulent nor meagre his limbs finely proportioned his countenance open and majestic his eyes full of sweetness and vivacity his teeth regular and his pouting lips of the complexion of the damask rose in short he was formed for love and inspired it wherever he appeared nor was he a niggard of his talents but liberally returned it at least what passed for such for he had a flow of gallantry for which many ladies of this land can vouch from their own experience but he exclaimed against marriage because he had as yet met no woman to whose charms he would surrender his liberty though a princess of france and a lady of the same rank in hm were said to be at the time enamoured of his person i went home totally engrossed by his idea flattering myself that he had observed me with some attention for i was young and new and had the good fortune to attract the notice and approbation of the queen herself next day being at the opera i was agreeably surprised with the appearance of this amiable stranger who no sooner saw me enter that he approached so near to the place where i sat that i overheard what he said to his companions and was so happy as to find myself the object of his discourse which abounded with rapturous expressions of love and admiration i could not listen to these transports without emotion my color changed my heart throbbed with unusual violence and my eyes betrayed my inclination in sundry favorable glances which he seemed to interpret aright though he could not then avail himself of his success so far as to communicate his sentiments by speech because we were strangers to each other 
i passed that night in the most anxious suspense and several days elapsed before i saw him again at length however being at court on a ball night and determined against dancing i perceived him among the crowd and to my unspeakable joy saw him advance with my lord p who introduced him to my acquaintance he soon found means to alter my resolution and i condescended to be his partner all the evening during which he declared his passion in the most tender and persuasive terms that real love could dictate or fruitful imagination invent i believed his protestations because i wished them true and was an inexperienced girl of fifteen i complied with his earnest request of being permitted to visit me and even invited him to breakfast next morning so that you may imagine i speak to those that feel did not that night enjoy much repose such was the hurry and flutter of my spirits that i rose at six to receive him at ten i dressed myself in a new pink satin gown and my best laced night-clothes and was so animated by the occasion that if i ever deserved a compliment upon my looks it was my due at this meeting the wished-for moment came that brought my lover to my view i was overwhelmed with joy modesty and fear of i know not what we sat down to breakfast but did not eat he renewed his addresses with irresistible eloquence and pressed me to accept of his hand without further hesitation but to such a precipitate step i objected as a measure repugnant to my decency as well as to that duty which i owed my father whom i tenderly loved though i withstood this premature proposal i did not attempt to disguise the situation of my thoughts and thus commenced a tender correspondence which was maintained by letters while i remained in the country and carried on when i was in town by private interviews twice or thrice a week at the house of my milliner where such endearments passed as refined and happy lovers know and others can only guess truth and innocence prevailed on my side while his heart was fraught with sincerity and love such frequent intercourse created an intimacy which i began to think dangerous and therefore yielded to his repeated desire that we might be united forever nay i resolved to avoid him until the day should be fixed and very innocently though not very wisely told him my reason for this determination which was no other than a consciousness of my incapacity to refuse him anything he should demand as a testimony of my love the time was accordingly appointed at the distance of a few days during which i intended to have implored my father's consent though i had but faint hopes of obtaining it but he was by some means or other appraised of our design before i could prevail upon myself to make him acquainted with our purpose i had danced with my lover at the ridotto on the preceding evening and there perhaps our eyes betrayed us certain it is several of lord w s relations who disapproved of the match came up and rallied him on his passion lord s k in particular used this remarkable expression nephew as much love as you please but no matrimony next day the priest being prepared and the bridegroom waiting for me at the appointed place in all the transports of impatient expectation i was without any previous warning carried into the country by my father who took no notice of the intelligence he had received but decoyed me into the coach on pretence of taking the air 
and when we had proceeded as far as turnham green gave me to understand that he would dine in that place there was no remedy i was obliged to bear my disappointment though with an aching heart and followed him upstairs into an apartment where he told me he was minutely informed of my matrimonial scheme i did not attempt to disguise the truth but assured him while the tears gushed from my eyes that my want of courage alone had hindered me from making him privy to my passion though i owned i should have married lord w even though he had disapproved of my choice i reminded him of the uneasy life i led at home and frankly acknowledged that i loved my admirer too well to live without him though if he would favour me with his consent i would defer my intention and punctually observe any day he would fix for our nuptials meanwhile i begged he would permit me to send a message to lord w who was waiting in expectation of my coming and might without such notice imagine i was playing the jilt he granted this last request in consequence of which i sent a letter to my lover who when he received it had almost fainted away believing i should be locked up in the country and snatched forever from his arms tortured with these apprehensions he changed clothes immediately and taking horse resolved to follow me whithersoever we should go after dinner we proceeded as far as brentford where we lay intending to be at my father's country house next night and my admirer putting up at the same inn practised every expedient his invention could suggest to procure an interview but all his endeavours were unsuccessful because i who little dreamed of his being so near had gone to bed upon our first arrival overwhelmed with affliction and tears in the morning i threw myself at my father's feet and conjured him by all the ties of paternal affection to indulge me with an opportunity of seeing my admirer once more before i should be conveyed from his wishes the melancholy condition in which i preferred this supplication melted the tender heart of my parent who yielded to my supplications and carried me back to town for that purpose lord w who had watched our motions and arrived at his own lodgings before we arrived at my father's house obeyed my summons on the instant and appeared before me like an angel our faculties were for some minutes suspended by a conflict of grief and joy at length i recovered the use of speech and gave him to understand that i was come to town in order to take my leave of him by the permission of my father whom i had promised to attend into the country next day before he would consent to my return the chief cause and pretence of which was my earnest desire to convince him that i was not to blame for the disappointment he had suffered and that i should see him again in a month when the nuptial knot should be tied in spite of all opposition my lover who was better acquainted with the world had well-nigh run distracted with this information he swore he would not leave me until i should promise to meet and marry him next day or if i refused to grant that request he would immediately leave the kingdom to which he would never more return and before his departure sacrifice lord h b son to the duke of s a who was the only person upon earth who could have betrayed us to my father because he alone was trusted with the secret of our intended marriage and had actually undertaken to give me away an office which he afterwards declined lord w also affirmed 
that my father decoyed me into the country with a view of cooping me up and sequestering me entirely from his view and correspondence in vain i pleaded my father's well-known tenderness and used all the arguments i could recollect to divert him from his revenge upon lord h he was deaf to all my representations and nothing i found would prevail upon him to suppress his resentment but a positive promise to comply with his former desire i told him i would hazard everything to make him happy but could not with any regard to my duty take such a step without the knowledge of my parent or if i were so inclined it would be impracticable to elude his vigilance and suspicion however he employed such pathetic remonstrances and retained such a powerful advocate within my own breast that before we parted i assured him my whole power should be exerted for his satisfaction and he signified his resolution of sitting up all night in expectation of seeing me at his lodgings he had no sooner retired than i went into the next room and desired my father to fix a day for the marriage in which case i would cheerfully wait upon him into the country whereas should he deny my request on pretence of staying for the consent of my mother's relations which was very uncertain i would seize the first opportunity of marrying lord w cost what it would he consented to the match but would not appoint a day for the ceremony which he proposed to defer until all parties should be agreed and such a favorable crisis i feared would never happen End of chapter eighty one part one Recording by Patty Cunningham.